With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, and welcome to the Short Stuff. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and this is Short Stuff. Giddy up. Let's go, little sailor. Sail on toward the Short Stuff now. <laughs> yeah, this is about Chinatowns, and uh, I found this to be very interesting because I love a good Chinatown. Sure. Or a good Japan town. Okay. Or uh, I like town? I like ethnic groupings. Of, I love Koreatown. I used to live near Koreatown in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I was in Little Armenia, technically, was my neighborhood. But I like groupings of ethnicities. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I think it's something that people might naturally do. But in the case of Chinatowns, it, it's not only something that can help immigrants as they come into the country and did from the very beginning. But sadly, the dark side is uh, they were a necessity because of racial exclusion. Yeah. And and to protect themselves and seek refuge among their own, because for many, many years in this country, there was, uh, and some might say there's anti-Asian bias that continues today in the wake of COVID. Um, and by some might say, I mean, it, it's fairly obvious because of what's going on, very sadly. But uh, for many, many years in this country, there was a a very much anti-Chinese immigrant feeling going on. Um, A lot of it had to do with, you know, good old-fashioned Americans thought that Chinese immigrants were taking their jobs. Mm -hmm. And Chinese immigrants did come to this country en masse starting in the 1800s. And 25,000 Chinese immigrants came in the 1850s alone. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Um, They were drawn to the United States pretty understandably because all of a sudden America was this land of opportunity um, and the westward expansion uh, was producing a lot of railroad jobs. There was a gold rush in California at the time. Apparently the um, lumber mills and uh, the lumber industry in the Pacific Northwest was really getting going. Um, And so it it attracted a tremendous amount of Chinese people. And at first I, I get the impression, I think from this, is this a How Stuff Works article you got? Indeed. Um, It it basically makes the point that, you know, at first um, the influx of Chinese immigrants in the mid-19th century were was tolerated, if not just, you know, if not welcome, they were it was fine. And then um, as they started to show up in greater and greater numbers, faster and faster, then the xenophobia really kicked in. And like you said, um, they were they were basically like you go over here and, and you stay together. And this is a really great example of. Um, Chinese immigrants making lemon chicken out of lemons um, and creating these really vibrant, really interesting communities that almost is like, well, can we come can we come eat over in your in your little enclave that we forced Mm -hmm. you guys to make? Um, And that's where those Chinatowns came from. It's a pretty cool example of 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 something good coming out of something bad, you know? Yeah, the first formally recognized Chinatown was in San Francisco And this was in the 1850s, and it was called Little Canton at the time uh, because most of the immigrants in that area at the time were from what was known as Canton in southeastern China. Today it's known as, I would say, Guangzhou, but I'm sure that's wrong. What is it? Guangzhou. I looked at it. Oh, really? Yes. It's a a new day in Stuff You Should Know History (laughs) where we're looking up pronunciations. (laughs) 
1853, I think, is where when they first actually said the word Chinatown in the newspaper. And it was about a 12-block area, 22,000 Chinese immigrants. That is so many people. By the end of the 1880s. And at the time, because of the page law from 1875 that prevented Chinese men from bringing their wives and kids, it was was a ratio of 20 men to every woman Mm -hmm. in Chinatown because either single men only were coming over or men left their families behind to come over. Right. So, I mean, 20 to 1... And twenty two thousand people living in uh in in I guess San Francisco's Chinatown in the eighteen eighties in a twelve block district and um only twenty two hundred of them were women. That's nuts, dude. Yeah. But the um, as I guess uh, America started to ease its uh, immigration laws, especially against um, Chinese immigrants after World War II, it took quite a while. And so finally, women, um, wives, daughters, moms started coming over. And I, I get the impression that the, the character and the complexion of um, Chinatowns in the United States started to change. They became a little more family-oriented. Yeah, and if you've ever been to a Chinatown, you uh, have probably seen what's known as a Pai Fang, which is, you know, those beautiful decorated gateway arches that sort of lead you into the district. Mm-hmm. Um, the business districts are usually defined by a few different, uh, a few, I mean, well, there's, there's tons of uh, Chinese owned businesses, obviously they um, very early on were involved in shoemaking, uh, laundry service, cigar production, and they serve Chinese people. They serve white people. And in those days, the organizations that served the actual immigrants in Chinatown were broken down into social organizations, uh, district and family organizations, which were further broken down into like what region basically you came from. Mm -hmm. And then what's known as Tongs, uh, these are uh, brotherhoods that they would provide uh, housing and jobs or legal services for people just arriving into the uh, community. Yeah, because, I mean, that was one of the greatest functions and first functions of Chinatown um, in the United States was to to it was a place where if you were a Chinese immigrant, that's where you went and the community would help take care of you. Right. Um, which is a it's a that's a pretty great thing to have when you're newly arrived in a new country, you know. I think so, too. Should we take a break I and think go so. to the dark side? Yeah, exactly. Let's do that. All right. We'll be right back. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy? But you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace has absolutely everything you could possibly need to build whatever website you're trying to. You can host video content and organize your entire video library, plus showcase it on beautiful video pages. You can use analytics to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. What else, Chuck? Well, buddy, if you got merch, then you can sell it on Squarespace. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. Yeah, and if your business is appointment-based, you can accept appointments on your Squarespace website. You can offer online or in-person private sessions, workshops, and group classes. And Squarespace provides everything you need to manage your schedule, accept secure payments, and send automatic reminders, all in a beautifully showcased site. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. All right. So like I was saying, Chuck, at first, um, the American sentiment toward newly arriving Chinese immigrants was at least tolerant. And then um, it quickly turned to xenophobia. And one of the problems with having a lot of people um, of the same ethnicity all living in one place is it's an easy target for outraged um, xenophobic white mobs to attack and burn down and beat people up in there. And, um, that's what happened a lot in the late 19th and early 20th century in Chinatowns around the United States. Anytime there was a problem and it was blamed on uh, Chinese people, there was probably a violent attack on Chinatowns. It just seemed to be par for the course. Yeah, there was one in 1871 in Los Angeles where a white mob lynched 17 Chinese men and boys. Uh, and the governor at the time, John Bigler, said, you know, we th- we need more restrictions on these Chinese immigrants coming in. So uh, it was, the, you know, the local government wasn't doing them any favors at all. Uh, I think in 1882 is when the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed. It was called which, the Chinese Exclusion Act, for God's sake, Chuck. Yeah, and this is one of America's very first um, immigration, like restrictive immigration laws. Yeah. And it it basically said if you are already here as a Chinese immigrant, you're not going to be able to become a naturalized citizen. You We're not going to kick you out, but don't count on becoming an American. And if you're not here already, stay out. We're not letting any more Chinese people into the country. That was the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. And like I was saying, it wasn't until World War II that they started to um, relax those restrictions. So restrictions against Chinese immigration were pretty tight for about 60 years at least. Yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, anti-Chinese journalism going on. I think they started to try and purposely spread the word and say that, you know, Chinatown, you don't want to go to Chinatown if you're a white person Mm -hmm. and do business with them. uh, There's a lot of crime there. It's dirty and diseased there. I think during the uh, bubonic plague pandemic of the early 20th century, they actually, um, I think the Chinatown in Honolulu was actually destroyed, and the one in San Francisco was totally cordoned off. Yeah, and I mean, as as much of a target as Chinatowns were, um, it was even worse for people who lived outside of Chinatowns. Um, like, they were even, um, I guess, easier to get at. There was no safety in numbers or anything like that. Right. 
So over time, um, I think like the violence, the anti-Asian violence of the early 20th century subsided and there was um, a kind of like enforced, threatened peace that kind of broke out. And Chinatowns kind of went to being like, a, they went back to being like this exotic place, but a place where you could, you know, as a, a white person or a non-Asian American could travel to and, and go, you know, eat in the restaurants or use the businesses, that kind of thing by mid to late 20th century. Yeah, there are roughly 50 Chinatowns in the United States today. Um, Most major cities have a Chinatown. Atlanta doesn't have a Chinatown Chinatown, but there we have an area in Atlanta called Buford Highway, and Mm -hmm. it's just this, it's a street. And this road has, uh, is well known for just having a bunch of um, groups of ethnicities sorted together. So there'll be an area where there's a lot of Chinese business. uh, There's a Chinese mall. Um, some, I just actually went over the other day to the North China eatery Mm -hmm. and got like a hundred dumplings to go to freeze. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Cause you can go home. They actually sell them. They sell buns and uh, dumplings frozen, like not wholesale, but just bulk. Sure. So, you know, it's delicious stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but all kinds of ethnicities. There's a, there's, you know, Filipino area, there's Mexican area. Top notch Vietnamese food. Oh man. It's just do yourself a favor. Yeah, if you ever go to Atlanta, just sort of ask where Buford Highway is and go eat. Yeah, just, and, just and shop down it. Yeah, it's really like you're not going to go wrong. But not a true, true Chinatown like you would think of, unfortunately, no. uh, in Atlanta. But you know, Portland, D.C., Honolulu, Seattle, Chicago, Philly, Houston, New York, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Houston, Texas has a Chinatown, mm-hmm. uh, and now because of. Um, gentrification, a lot of these Chinatowns are threatened, obviously, in cities like San Francisco, where everything is becoming gentrified. Uh, Chinatowns are starting to shift to the suburbs a little more. And Monterey Park, California, was dubbed the first suburban Chinatown Mm -hmm. and became majority Asian American in the 1990s. Yeah, which is, you know, I mean, in for those residents who are staying, um, a lot of the second generation are like, I don't really want to live in the middle of the city any longer. I want to go have a bigger house or whatever. And like you said, they're moving to the suburbs. But for the ones who are staying, like the cost of living in the city is sky high compared to the suburbs. I don't care what city you're in. Yeah. Um, so that's a big problem. Gentrification um, is forcing out the ones who do want to stay. And so there's a push among um, second and, and third and more generation Chinese Americans to say, hey, we need to make sure that these places are, are yeah. protected culturally. You know, mm-hmm. not we need to keep the white people out or anything like that, but we need to make sure that they just don't get overdeveloped or anything like that, that they, they maintain their original character to a large degree. Right. At the very least, no tech bros. No, none. Which is ironic that San Francisco's Chinatown is still the most vibrant and flourishing Chinatown yeah. in the United States. It's the OG and it's still going strong. Yeah, I think D.C.'s Chinatown only has 300 Chinese people living there now. Yeah. Uh, Well, actually, that was in 2015, so unless that's risen, it may be even less. Yeah, that's like a tenth of what it was in 1970. Yeah, so visit a Chinatown, everyone. Go to Chinatown in New York City and uh, bring cash. A lot of these uh, places, uh, dim sum places, will only take cash. That's Mm -hmm. my little travel tip for you. Oh, that's a good one. And eat some dim sum and some soup dumplings. Very nice. Uh, You got anything else? I got nothing else. 
Well, we're going to go eat some dim sum, so Short Stuff is out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.